we are in a series of lessons called As You Go. And it's our theme for this year based on Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 19, which uh, is the beginning of the Great Commission of where Jesus says, of course, a lot of our translation says, go and make disciples or go and teach all nations. But, but the word there to go is actually a participle. And sometimes it's translated as the ISV does as you go or as you're going. Make disciples. And so that, that's our theme for this year. And, and we began this year by uh, going back to the Old Testament to a sub-theme called Don't Forget Your Mission. And we've been looking at the book of Jonah for the last uh, three Sundays. Today we'll be finishing that study out. And of course, there's no story uh, in the Old Testament that captures us as children. You know, perhaps David and Goliath, but Jonah and the big fish. Uh, my son recently called me and he said, Dad, what are you preaching through right now? And I said, preaching through Jonah. And my, today, I've got a six-year-old grandson as of today. Uh, my, my grandson Grant turned six today. And uh, he was sitting over on the couch and my son turned to him and said, Grant, what do you know about Jonah? He got swallowed by a whale and off he took off. I mean, he, he was gone. And so, you know, it's one of those stories that many of us learn at a very early age. And so we've been uh, beginning each of our lessons with a fish story or sometimes a couple of fish stories. And, and we're going to do the last ones today. And, and they are located in one of my favorite fishing spots in the world. Uh, they're located in a lake down in northwest uh, Mississippi called Sardis. Uh, here's a picture of Sardis. Sardis is one of several reservoirs scattered throughout the state of Mississippi that were built by the Corps of Engineers for flood control, a whole lot like Old Hickory Lake or Percy Priest Lake here in Tennessee. And when I was a kid, this was my dad's definition of vacation. I mean, whenever he got off from uh, Genesco, he'd get a week off. He would always go to either Sardis of Aka Butler or Enid or uh, Ross Barnett. I mean, he was always going to one of the big reservoirs in Mississippi to go catfishing. And so I spent a lot of my childhood on weekends, uh, on uh, weeks when he was on vacation at this particular lake you see up here in front of you. Now, I'm not the only one that have, has uh, have fished there, but uh, Doc Shannon has fished there, and he told me the first story I want to share with you. Uh, he said, let, let me tell you about one time I went down to Sardis. Uh, his best friend had invited him down, and so Doc got up early one Saturday morning, went over to the airport, hopped on a plane, flew down to Memphis, picked up by his best friend. They go to this very reservoir, and out they go to bass fish. Now, the water was up high. And Doc said, we got back into the backwaters of Sardis Lake, and we got on a dairy farm out in the field next to a literally a barn and silo and everything. And, and he said, boy, we got into a, a, a school of bass. I, I guess you call them a school of bass, a, a group of bass. And he said, boy, we just started pulling them out one right after the other. He said, I caught nine bass, each one weighing right at three pounds. And it was time to come back to Nashville. And you got to remember, he's flying. So what's Doc going to do? So Doc heads to the airport in Memphis with his suitcase, with, with trash bags full of ice carrying nine three-pound bass. Now, it's obvious that was before 9-11, right? 
I mean, it would had to have been. Because can you imagine Doc sending that through the x-ray machine and them going, uh, okay, we need to pull him aside. You know, what do you have in your suitcase? Well, they're bass. And what are they on? They're on ice. And where are you taking them? To Nashville. Why? To eat, you know. And Doc said, I got back, drove home, cleaned those bass in my garage. I mean, left that morning, back that evening with fresh bass from Sardis Reservoir. Boy, what a great story. But not as good as this one. The last story comes from my own family uh, folklore. My dad was the oldest of eight children. Uh, he, he had a brother down next to him whose name was Nevada. I oftentimes ask my grandmother, why Nevada? I don't know. She just named him Nevada. No middle name, just Nevada. Well, we shortened his name like you do in Mississippi, and so it became Vod. And so he was always Uncle Vod to me. Uh, became an insurance agent, was a, a very active member of the Long Beach Church of Christ down on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi for years and years and years and years. But he was fishing of all places in the reservoir here at Sardis. This is where I always fished. We would go up there on a Friday night and we would go down on the rocks like you see the people are here and we would light lanterns and we would fish way late into the night and get up the next morning and head back home. And, and my uncle Nevada was fishing down there one day and as he was fishing, a boat came right up into where you see the water white there. Uh, that's churning up everything on the bottom. Catfish love to get in there and feed. And this boat pulls up there, and he starts pulling out catfish after catfish after catfish. My Uncle Nevada's watching him. He caught several fish, among them some pretty big ones. He backs up his boat into a little bit calmer water, and he starts cleaning the fish. And so if you've ever cleaned the catfish, it's a little difficult, you know, but he's cleaning the fish. And when he'd finally have them skinned and gutted and cleaned, he would take the, the fish and rinse over the, reach over the boat and rinse it in the water, throw it in the icebox. My uncle's watching him. Of course, my dad and my uncle had done that a thousand times. He had about a four-pound catfish, and, and after he had cleaned it, he reached over to rinse it right there in front of my uncle, and it slipped out of his hand. And, of course, he's like, and my uncle, you know, turned to someone and said, he just lost that four-pound catfish. It just slipped out of his hand. So the guy cranks up his boat. He heads on down the spillway, and my uncle's still fishing. When all at once, boy, he got a bite. Y'all know the rest of the story, don't you? He reels in the only freshly cleaned catfish ever caught in the state of Mississippi, weigh over four pounds. He simply rinsed it off, threw it in his icebox dock, he didn't have to take it home and clean it. It was freshly cleaned. And, of course, his message to all of us is, if you want to go fishing, just catch the clean fish. And that was my story. All right. Uh, now, like I said, it's part of the folklore. Can I prove it? No, my uncle's passed, so I think it's true. Jonah, in many ways, was like that when he got spit up. God had performed a cleaning action on him. And when he hit the ground, he was a prophet ready to go to Nineveh and to preach against the Assyrians, about a 500-mile trip. And, and, of course, the thing, if you've been here, you've noticed, is that Jonah is the most reluctant of all preachers. He doesn't want converts. As Clyde said, his invitation was, you don't want to come forward, do you? With the emphasis on, you don't want to come forward, do you? And so Jonah goes there, but he hopes that God doesn't save the Assyrians. 
Now, you're, you're going to see why he has that attitude. Now, now again, Jonah is the most political of all the prophets of Israel. God had sent him to the northern tribes, very wicked king, Jeroboam II. But God was having compassion on the Israelites because it was hard times. And so God had spoken through Jonah to tell Jeroboam II, I'm going to actually bless you. Even though you're a wicked king... I'm going to bless you as you lead Israel into more productive times. And in fact, his reign was a very productive season for Israel. And so Jonah's very political-minded. And of course, the Assyrians are the enemies of Israel. I mean, it's kind of like all of my lifetime growing up. It was us versus, you know, the Russians, you know, the Soviet Union, the communists, you know. And that was kind of the two sides, democracy on this side and communism on that side. And it still is in many ways. And that's the way it was in ancient Israel. And so anyway, Jonah goes there and he preaches against the city. And last week we noticed that the king even repents. And he calls upon everyone to call upon God and to turn from their evil ways. And that maybe God would relent from the punishment that he had promised. And sure enough, he does. The last verse of Jonah 3 says that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. He didn't bring upon them the destruction that, that he had threatened. And of course, Jonah is just absolutely dumbstruck. I mean, he's like, no, 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 no. You know, he's kind of like, I can't believe this. And so we get into chapter 4. Again, very short chapter. And it's a chapter that is really what the entire book is about. We get hung up on the fish store. But the story is about a, a prophet of God who doesn't want people saved, even though God does. And you see the problem. And I think sometimes that we as Christians have got to ask ourselves, are we more like God or are we more like Jonah? Are we more like, yes, they were created in God's image, they deserve to be saved, or are we like, you really don't want to be saved, do you? Which one side do we come down? And I'm talking about us individually. Where do we stand on this? Jonah 4.1 begins with these words. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became very angry. You ever been angry with God? See, sometimes we preachers... We, we like to make it as if God, you know, we can't be angry at God. And, and God's the whole time going, really? You know, I mean, you don't think I can handle it? I've, I've been angry with God. I've asked God hard questions in my life. Uh, you lose a family member and you'll ask God why, perhaps over and over again. You lose a child, you'll ask God why. You lose a spouse, you'll ask God why. You lose a marriage, you'll ask God why. You lose a job, you may ask God why. And I suspect if you're like, everybody in here, you've probably had moments where you've said to God, God, why? Why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to my family? Why has this happened to my friend? You just fill in the blanks. And, and one of the things we see is that Scripture has multiple examples of people being angry with God. You turn over to the book of Job. And, and Job is a righteous man who God pretty well says to the Satan, hey, 
you throw everything you got at him and see if he'll turn from me. And you see all the tragedies that come upon Job. And Job later on in the book, after his friends come and they have all kinds of debate about why Job was suffering, Job says this, if only someone would listen to me. Now, he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to God. If someone would only listen to me, I'll sign my my name to my defense. You want to make accusations against me? Look at what he says here. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. Look at the middle part of this text. Let the Almighty answer me. God, I want you to give me answers to the questions I have. I've been there. You've probably been there. And sometimes we get answers, and sometimes we are left like Job was. God comes to Job a few chapters later in a whirlwind. First of all, get his attention. That'd get my attention. And then out of the whirlwind, God speaks. And look at what God says. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? And then he says to Job, and I love this, brace yourself like a man. I've got some questions for you. And, of course, the rest of the book is God asking Job questions. Now, God didn't do this because he, he wanted to punish Job. He loved Job. He didn't do it because he was just angry as he could be at Job. He said, listen, in all of this, Job never sinned. Even in asking God to come down and answer his questions, Job never sinned. And and that's one of the most important lessons I think we get from this text is that God is not afraid of our questions nor our outburst. I I tell people all the time, if you need to scream at God, scream at God. Just make sure other people can't hear it. You know? But seriously... Our God is fully capable. He understands the emotions we have as human beings, and he's fully capable of shouldering it for us. And So don't be afraid to question God and to, and to say, God, I just don't understand. Jonah responded this way, Didn't I say before I left home that you'd do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. He said, I went the opposite direction because I knew you was going to forgive. I knew you were going to do it. And that's why I'm just absolutely so angry. And, of course, God fires right back uh, to deal with this whole issue of his anger. You see, one of the problems that, that Israelites had is that they had misunderstood one of the basic commandments of the Old Testament. Jesus tries to correct it here in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor. This comes out of the book of Leviticus. We're going to look at it in just a moment. But then notice what he says, and then you've heard hate your enemy. And that's what Jonah was doing. Yes, he'd love his neighbor, but he was going to hate his enemy. Jesus says, but that's not the way you interpret the text. You need to love your enemies as well. And so going back to Leviticus, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. You see the text? And what they did was simply took that phrase, fellow Israelite, and say, okay, I have to love them as my neighbor, but it only applies to the Israelites. doesn't apply to people out in the world, especially those who are our enemies. I am the Lord, the text ends. So here's Jonah, I mean, just literally hating his enemy because he thought he had the right to do so. 
I knew that you're a merciful, compassionate God, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying. God, I knew that's the way you were. And so I knew what you were going to do to the Assyrians. Jonah felt that God wasn't fair. Too much mercy. You ever notice that we always want to be treated fair until we need mercy? Y'all ever notice that? You ever had somebody pass you, you know, just, I mean, driving like a maniac down the road, and you go, where in the world's the cops when we need them, right? And then all at once you're doing 45 in a school zone and the blue lights come on and you go, that's not fair, right? I mean, I wasn't doing anything. I didn't know that that school zone was there. I mean, we're always, we always want justice until we're the ones who are going to be treated justly. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, look at Jonah's attitude. If you're not going to destroy them, then destroy me. Because, God, you are not acting righteously. And, of course, God's response would be, you need to understand that there's two sides of me, justice and mercy. And, yes, those are oftentimes in great tension. And the question is, which side are we going to fall down on? And so the Lord asked him point blank, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? We need to let God be God, especially when it comes to judgment, final judgment especially. I want to share a parable with you, and I hope you'll let this parable sink in. It's a parable that we skip over way too quickly. And take my word, none of us would like to be part of the parable, but we are. This is a parable that comes out of Matthew chapter 20. And it's called the parable of the vineyard. And notice the way the parable operates. Notice how it's set up. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So he goes out at 6 o'clock in the morning. He goes to, you know, the place where he hired day laborers. And notice what he says. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. A denarius was the average daily payment, okay? It was the day, you know, pay rate in their world. You know, a lot of us grew up with minimum wage. You know, here's minimum wage, minimum wage, minimum wage. You know, when, when I first started to work, minimum wage was a dollar and ninety cents. And I know some of you are going out there, are you kidding? It was 80 cents when I started to work. Okay, I get it. Yeah. We always, always have someone who can either get lower or get higher on us. But, you know, we're constantly saying, what should we pay as the, you know, basic lowest rate we can in American society? Well, in their world, it was a denarius a day. And notice the agreement. You go work 12 hours, I'll pay you a denarius. Great. Wonderful. That's the average pay. We'll accept it. And so they head off to work. And then about 9 o'clock he goes out. And there's other people still out there. He needs more workers in his vineyard. And so he says to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. But notice this time the agreement. He simply says, I'll pay you whatever is right. That's a loaded statement. I'll pay you whatever is right. Whatever is right in whose eyes? Hmm, that's where it gets fun, right? doesn't say how much. He says, simply says, I'll pay you whatever is right. 
And then the story goes on, and you know the story. He goes out at 12 noon. There's still people there. I still need workers. Go work in my vineyard. He goes out then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Same thing, sends people in. Finally, he goes out at 5 o'clock. You know, the, the, the buzzer goes off at 6 o'clock. They're going to work one hour. But he goes out, and he says, you go, and I'll pay you whatever is right as well. And so, you know, they, 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 they ring the horn, everybody lines up to get paid, and notice the workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came, and when the salary started going out, they got a denarius for one hour work. And of course, the people who were hired at six o'clock in the morning, what are they thinking? All right, if they get a denarius, we're probably going to get 12 denarii. But then when they get up there, they only get one. How would you feel? Can you be honest? I mean, if you were the one hired at 6 o'clock in the morning and you saw people who worked only one hour get paid the same thing that you got paid, how would you feel? And I suspect you'd feel the exact same way I would. That's not fair. That's not right. And that's exactly what they said. They began to complain. And the master responded this way. He says, listen, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree? I mean, wasn't the agreement at 6 o'clock this morning for a denarius, you'll work all day? And, of course, they're like, yeah. And look at what he says. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Are you envious because I'm generous? Are you angry? Because I'm merciful. And there's the problem we run into all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 says something that every one of us needs to take to heart. Therefore judge nothing. By the way, you know what the word nothing means? It means nothing. No one, no situation. Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait for the Lord. Why? Because he's the one who knows what's in people's hearts. In fact, look at it. He'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness. will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Let Jesus be the one who pronounces final judgment. When people say to me, do you think because I'm from this group of people or that group of people, do you think I'm going to be saved? And my response is always, I hope so. But if I have a concern, I'll tell them. But I have a concern about this area right here or that area right there, and we can talk about it. But you know what? That's not my call. And it's not your call. It's none of our calls. And folks, we don't need to have a reputation in the community. Oh, they're the only ones who think, and you can fill in the blanks. How do we get there? More importantly, how do we get out of there? And the answer is by doing the very thing Paul said we should do, which is leave that up to God. And by the way, if you think for one second that God is going to act unfairly, you don't know the God we have. But he will be a God who acts unfairly mercifully, and I hope he does because I will need it more than anybody. So Jonah, what does he do? He goes out to the city, goes out east of the city, builds him a little uh, shelter, sits down in that shelter to see, okay, is God going to change his mind? Because if he does, I want to watch the fire and brimstone as it comes down. And then God does something amazing. He once again 
creates a living parable. He's done this all the way. The story of the fish is a parable, folks. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying it's a living parable. And, and, and going to Nineveh is a living parable. It's not about Nineveh. It's about Israel. It's about a people who've rejected their God. And are they going to be destroyed because they won't repent? That's the point of the story. And so Jonah goes out and God creates another living parable. Notice what he says. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah, give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy with the plant. Huh, this plant's awesome. Now it's not as hot as it was this morning. I am so grateful for this plant. I am now happy. Really? I mean, you've just had the greatest revival known in the history of the world at that time, and you're happier over a plant? And, of course, that's the point God wanted him to do. But then notice what God did. But at dawn the next day, God sent a worm. Worm snipped the plant, leaves wilted very quickly in the hot sun, and guess where we're back to? We're back to Jonah being angry again. He's sitting there, the plant's withered, and he is furious. And then God said, you think you're furious now? You see, instead of Jonah watching God bring judgment upon Nineveh, God's bringing judgment on him. And God unleashes it. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. Here we, here we go again. God sighed. God said, you know what, Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. Can you hear it in his voice? You've been concerned about this plant, though it, you did not tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang overnight. It died overnight. And he says, where's your priorities? What are you focused on? And let me tell you, that that question right there is one that just, it gets me right here. I need to hear, I need to answer that question. Sometimes I can get my priorities pretty good shape. Other times they're horrible. And for Jonah, they're horrible. And so God says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there's more than 120,000 people created in my image? And by the way, Pretty good number of animals. You're concerned about a plant. Really? And so he's basically saying to Jonah, it's high time you step back and take an inventory of what's number one in your life because if you want to see Nineveh destroyed, it's obvious that you don't know who I am or if you do know who I am, you're not in line with my ways and it's time you get your priorities right. And every one of the lessons that we've heard are the lessons that I need to hear. We began this year with a simple phrase, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. As I've reflected on my life and and, and as I realize that I don't know how many more years God's going to give me to preach and teach, I don't have a clue. But I do know that whatever short time he gives me, I want to make sure that I keep the main thing, the main thing, which is as we go out into the world, every single solitary one of us, let's make a difference. So can I simply ask you today, as you go out, number one, 
Spend some time thinking about where your priorities are. Are they in line with God's priorities? If not, will you make a commitment to start bringing them in line? I've got to do that. I've got to bring my priorities more in line with God, and I'm working on that. Number two, I want you to begin reading the book of Matthew. Out in the front foyer as well as the back foyer are copies of the book of Matthew, ESV. It's a little Matthew journal book. Many of you got them last week. We handed out over 450 of them last week. We still have 200 more. If you haven't picked one, please pick one up. Don't pick them up to sell them in a yard sale, okay? Don't do that. But if you've got someone at home that's watching online, grab one. And all I want to ask is that each week you read one chapter. And, and I hope you'll read it every day and, and just kind of see what is God saying to you. Because here's the thing. We're going to be looking at what Jesus did as he went. We're going to let him serve as this example of how do we live out discipleship in our lives by watching the great discipler himself, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So go and get a book. Matthew, put your name in it. Put your name in it. Don't be like Stan here who put his in Hebrew. Nobody would have read it except Rodney, you know. He actually put it in English as well, but he he showed it to me in Hebrew. He said, my name's in here, and I'm like, yeah, great, thank you. All right, put your name in it. Number three, please pray. Pray as Jonah should have for the people of Nineveh. Let's pray for Hendersonville. Let's pray for those who don't know Jesus. Pray by name if you know people who don't know Jesus. Pray by name. Number four, invite someone to a church event. I want to give you something real simple to do this week. We have events constantly going on here at Hendersonville. We have small groups that will take place tonight all over the city. Invite a neighbor to a small group meeting. We have activities that happen here, all kinds of group meetings all throughout the week. Invite someone to a Wednesday night service. William and the young people have a meal over there. Hey, sign up and bring them to a meal and and, and just enjoy a class here. Invite them to something and just say, hey, Come and experience the love of God as we experience it in our church. And so if you're here this morning and you need to make a commitment in your life, you need to get your priorities right, why don't you do it right now as together we stand and sing?